as far as I know, no film has ever made money. It doesn't make money, which is ridiculous. It's absolutely yeah, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Because we know they do. And all these yeah. companies exist because they do. So blockchain allows the, you know, everything to be transparent. So any, you know, and again, it's got to be a fight because why would they want this to happen? You know, so it's up yeah. to the creators to, to be the pioneers of this and, and tap into a different community that's willing to support this um and break through and once it breaks through it's 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 going to be a game changer in the same way that netflix was welcome back to cool hand crypto where cinema culture and crypto collide my name is matt silverman and please remember to subscribe on youtube and your favorite podcast app Today's guest is a veteran entertainer with over 90 credits on IMDb, including producer, director, and co-writer of Gold with Zac Efron, available in theaters and on demand now. You can also see him in The Light Between Oceans with Fassbender, War Machine with Brad Pitt, Animal Kingdom with Ben Mendelsohn, and Joel Edgerton, Cargo, The Rover, and many, many more. Here today to talk filmmaking and Web3 with his new blockbuster franchise, Retrogression, Anthony Hayes. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That was a good intro. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I just watched Gold uh, two nights ago. I loved it. And so I, I really have to start the show with this question. Was your goal with Gold to just fuck up Zac Efron's face as much as possible? <laughs> it's always a plus, isn't it? <laughs> he's handsome, devil. <laughs> he's, uh, he's very handsome. Yeah. And the whole movie is, is, among other things, watching his face just degrade into a blistering, sun-bloody uh, mess of insanity. Yeah. yeah, the strange thing about Efron, too, is that I did my very best to do that to him, and he still looked like a Hollywood star with sunburn all over. Yeah, he still looked good. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Right at the end there, I was, and I don't get, I don't get grossed out easily. But right at the end, I was, I was like, oh wow. Yeah, <laughs> he's still went got there. those piercing blue eyes. His charisma still shining through. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah, but I think as soon as the white, uh, the white sort of blemishing heat blisters started yeah. coming out, is when I. I really felt it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was actually, you know, it's one of the reasons he did the project too, is because obviously he's in a certain pocket, you know, that's, um, uh, does a lot of, uh, kind of comedies and musicals and things like that. And he, um, he, uh, kind of made a big statement with the, the Ted Bundy movie that he did recently. And, yeah, uh, yeah, even, yeah. even with that, it, you know, it kind of relied very heavily on his charm as a, uh, and his looks as an actor because Ted Bundy was very charming and, and handsome. And so this was an opportunity, I think, for him to really dig in and do something completely different that he's never done before. And it certainly is when you see it. Oh yeah, it was awesome. So you said, how can I get the most charming, handsome actor in Hollywood and, and bring him into the, the middle of the desert and, and beat the hell out of him? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. And it was like that. I mean, it was, a, the shoot was brutal, man. It was full on. We were, we were about uh, seven hours drive out from a major city out in the middle of nowhere. It was a disused mining town. So it used to be a, a coal mine that was out there. And so they have all this infrastructure in this place called Lee Creek, which is where it is, where there's all this housing that used to house 
30 or 40,000 uh, coal miners and the mine has been discontinued over the last 15 years. So there's all this accommodation to shoot films and put crew up and that kind of stuff there. Uh, but there's only really a population now of about kind of 50 to 100 people in this place. But wow. they had a little cinema there. So on the, you know, our one day off that we had, we'd put on old John Carpenter movies and things like that and nice. all get Love together it. Yeah. in the air conditioning because it was so hot. But even, you know, the shoot was, it was, and I'm talking Australian terms here, so people have to translate, but the ground temperature got up to 70 degrees Celsius on the ground. So it was melting shoes, crews were, crew were fainting. Uh, we had, you know, three days of sandstorms that just would not stop. So we got nine seconds of footage in a couple of days. And as you've seen, yeah. it, there's a big uh, sandstorm sequence that's actually written into the film. And so it looks brutal. Yeah, it yeah. looks brutal. And that's a real sandstorm. I and mean, when we originally, when we, we wrote it in there, we had organized to bring up all these tech guys and we had these massive fans that were going to be on the sides of trucks and drive it next to him to kick up all this movie dirt. And then we were meant to be shooting other things and we were just sitting there waiting for a gap in the, in the, in the sandstorm. And I was just like, dude, we're, I mean, we're, we're meant to shoot a sandstorm here. Here it is. Like, this is what you want, right? And they're like, oh, you can't get Zac Efron out in a real sandstorm. So I kind of snuck around the back and just knocked on his trailer and said, hey, dude, there's there's like a sandstorm going on here. What do you reckon? He goes, yeah, buddy, let's do it. So he got yeah. everyone together and was like, Zac's going to do it. We're all doing it. And uh, the cinematographer Amazing. threw the camera on his back and we just kind of shot what – originally would have taken a couple of days to shoot in a real sandstorm and just went bananas with handheld and it looks amazing. Are the cameras destroyed? One of the things was that uh, particularly our steady cams because the, 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 the dirt was so fine out there is that we went through about three different steady cams and all the dollies and equipment, you know, the big insurance jobs on that at the end of the thing. So a lot of equipment got destroyed, even not just because of the sandstorm, just because of the the dirt all the time. Um, you know, it was a very brutal shoot and I've got to be very thankful to the crew for, for going through it. And to Zach who, you know, spent his entire time not being an A-list actor, rolling around in the dirt with, without access to air conditioning and things and really put in, you know, more effort than what you would expect from someone of that, you know, uh, that uh, notoriety, let's say. Yeah, yeah. No, amazing. How many days shoot was it? It was very quick. It was 21 days originally, and then we lost a couple of days because of the sandstorm. So in effect, it was 19 days, which is super fast for a, a shoot. But having said that, it was it's predominantly one person in the desert, so it's not a lot of coverage you can really do there. What else are you going to shoot except for for him? Um, but uh, and very few elements, as you know, plays out on you know one patch of dirt for the majority of the film. There's only two other cast members in it. One of them's me. Um, so very quick, the only issue that we had really was you've seen the dog sequences that are in there and the ground was too yeah. hot to shoot the dogs because of their paws and things like that. So we actually had to do extensive uh, green screen dog shoots uh, in post-production for that, which added quite a few days after the fact that we went down to do it. And that was probably the most challenging part of shooting the film was the dog sequences to make them feel integrated because they weren't there on the day. They felt like they're there. They yeah. look great and gnarly and, and fierce. Uh, I actually wanted to ask you about that because what I love about the film 
is that it feels like a true film. And what I mean by that is it doesn't feel visual effects heavy. It feels like very cinematic. It feels very practical. feels like you were there and shot everything. So other than the dogs, were there a lot of other visual effects? It's mostly practical. There were, there were elements, you're exactly right, because one of the key things with this is when you're making a visual effects movie, it can look like a visual effects movie. When you're making essentially a kind of realistic portrayal of something, the visual effects have to be really well integrated. Otherwise they just stick out like dog's balls, so to speak, you know? <laughs> and, um, yeah. and so, you know, the dogs were a very, and you had dog balls. We, yeah. had dog, we had a lot of dog balls. And so there was those elements. There were things that we added or removed from the landscape in terms of um, very Australian looking trees, because as you know, this is set in a time and a place that is nondescript. We don't know where it is. Um, and so removing a lot of things, adding certain elements to uh, the background of shots, uh, particularly in the beginning sequence, building that uh, little outpost that he comes to and all that stuff is CGI in the background. And, um, oh, cool. uh, you know, nice. adding signage that was uh, not there, which had, you know, different languages on there and things like that. So it felt very multicultural. So there are there's actually surprisingly quite a bit of VFX in there, but um it, you don't realize it, which is fantastic. Yeah, it, it almost reminds me of when I watch behind the scenes on Fincher, uh, various David Fincher movies and their detective films and they're in an office or they're on the street and there's a ton of visual effects that you just don't realize are there. I think we could do a whole episode here just about your acting career. And so <laughs> I, th I want to touch on it and then I want to yeah. I want to jump into uh, Web3 world sure. and uh, and hear about sort of your journey into it and, and why you're doing it. Um, but I guess let's start with, with, I mean, how long have you been, you, you, over 90 credits I saw on IMDb, you've been acting forever. Um, it seems like all over the world. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, in recent times, it's kind of, you know, I started as a nine-year-old kid acting, um, and did a bunch of kid shows in Australia. I actually started doing TV commercials and kids theater was my beginnings. And it didn't ever really feel like, uh, something that you could do as a profession, particularly where I grew up. I grew up in a very, very working class place about an hour out of Brisbane. Um, and it just wasn't, it just wasn't, it wasn't something you did, you know? Um, and so I, I kind of got really lucky. I was kind of the freckle face, redheaded, typical Aussie kid. So, I was uh, able to integrate into ads pretty easily, you know, to be that face. And I probably did, you know, 27 ads in the space of, you know, a couple of years as a, you know, 10, 11 year old. Uh, and then started Amazing. getting some some acting gigs in kids shows. Then I did a soap, a kind of uh, soap in Australia in my early teens um, that only went for a year. And then it was really for me about um, getting out of that mold and getting into more serious things. And I had a few offers to go into other soap type TV shows and just knew that that wasn't really the path I wanted, but it was about landing that first serious role that could um, put you in the space as a serious actor. And that was a film called the boys, which I, um, which I did in Australia, which had uh, Tony Collette and David Wenham in it. And it was a really tough, gritty, uh, very low budget film about three uh, brothers that uh, gang rape and murder a, a girl while they're on acid. And, uh, you know, that was really my breakthrough as a, as a performer, as a serious actor. And then I got nominated for, um, 
for Best Supporting Actor at the equivalent of the Australian Oscars and over here. And then things just kind of blossom from there. A lot of, you know, I'd call myself a bit of a journeyman in terms of acting. I'm a character actor, essentially. I've, you know, very little lead roles through my career, but I'm peppered through every bloody film that Australia's ever made. And then things started to open up a little bit, um, you know, working with certain directors like David Michaud in Animal Kingdom. And then he went on to make... Uh, the Rover with Robert Pattinson. And so I was in that. And then he went on to make War Machine with Brad Pitt. So he took me along for the ride. And then once those things started happening, then you get a bit of attention and, you know, Derek C in France for the light between oceans. And uh, I'm shooting a film at the moment now, which I'm under an NDA. Uh, so I can't say what it is, but it's a, you know, a hundred million dollar um, film. So, you know, it's a slow burn, a slow process to get there. And there's ups and downs as there is with, uh, any kind of uh, freelance work, I guess. Um, but it's really for me about, you know, working with great people and um, and trying to carve a, a path out with your performances and with your jobs that is interesting and um, and of quality. That's really what it's about for me. Yeah. Well, I, th I think journeyman actors and, and character actors are, are my favorite kind of, <laughs> of actor and my favorite kind of talent. Everything I've seen of yours uh, has been awesome. So uh, it's really a, a pleasure talking to you right now. I'm curious, how did you get into Web3 and how do you balance sort of the the sort of ethos of Web3, which is sort of anti-Hollywood in a lot of ways? The ethos is the reason I got into it. Um, the, the best way to explain it is that the creators of content are never rewarded for the creation of their content. There's always a slew of middlemen that are in any creative process, uh, financiers and sales agents and things like that, which, you know, are uh, I wouldn't call them an evil, but a necessary evil in the process. But there is a way, I think now with blockchain to streamline um, direct from creator to audience and blockchain has given that opportunity. And so the fire in my belly is really about, you know, seeing the way filmmakers has been treated um, and the way the system works. And for anyone who doesn't know, and you know, people on your podcast probably do, uh, you know, for every dollar a film makes at the cinema, then 60 cents goes to the cinema chain. Then of the other 40 cents, then 50% of that goes to the distributor in that territory. Then after that, it goes 33% of that goes to the sales agents. Then after that, you've, you've banked all your pre-sales and then you've got to go and get a loan on all those pre-sales because you don't get that money up front. That comes after you deliver the film. So then you've got to go to a financial institution you got to borrow all that money you got to pay exorbitant uh, fees financing fees as well as um, interest rates on that before you pay it back and so by the time you dilute that process you know every other person apart from the creator is making a ton of money and even with you know my film goals it's like you know we're at a point now where the film's turned over x amount of million dollars and you know none of it yet has come to me i'm the last person on the the list to receive any kind of fiscal returns for that's that. that's just crazy and yeah. it's the way the system's engineered you know and it's the same it's the same in the music industry you know people like kanye west have been posting you know music contract excerpts that are the same it's set up the same way it all goes favors distribution and management and you know all these people in in, in the middle uh and he's worked out a way to take his new album direct to audience through a, a particular device that he's done we've seen radiohead in the uk that have have done you know releasing albums on their website pay what you want which you know yep. bizarrely rewards them more financially when people pay two dollars than when they pay 
$40 for an album. You know, that's just the way the yep. system's set up. And so when Netflix came out, it was a real game changer in terms of the film financing model. Um, and, it, and it meant that you could go direct to a, to a distributor, essentially, or a platform, and uh, you could take the budget of your film with your fees included. You could then do a, a one-off deal with those guys where they pay a premium on top of what it costs to make the film. So say your budget's $10 million, they give you 12 As a filmmaker, you're able to then pocket that premium straight off the bat um, and have proper, proper returns from your, from your creations. Um, but even Netflix, the, you know, the, the issue with that is that it is a one-stop shop and it's selling your property in perpetuity to one place. So there is no more revenue stream that is ever generated from that creation. Uh, they own it forever. Um, yep. And, the, you know, the lifespan of a filmmaking film, a filmmaking money can be 25 to 30 years. It's just that that never filters down to the creators. So you're left with a choice as a filmmaker. You go, Do I take a risk on this horrible, horrible waterfall that exists in the, in, in the recoupments uh, process of filmmaking and hope that my film does, you know, seven times its budget to start seeing a cent out of it, or do I just sell it up front forever? Um, and so a lot of people flock to Netflix for that very reason. Big people, Scorsese, all those guys, where they just go, I want to get yeah. paid. You know, I want to get yeah. paid. I want to go there. Um, the reason blockchain uh, came into the equation for me was just looking at NFTs and the way uh, NFTs were a piece of art that had a royalty built into the blockchain that went directly back to the the artist or the creator of that NFT uh, in perpetuity. No matter how many times that property changed hands on the blockchain, there was a revenue yeah. stream that was coming direct. Um, and so there had to be another model out there that was incorporating blockchain. And like you said, you know, this is anti-Hollywood. Because the studios don't want this to happen because it makes them yeah. redundant. You know, the sales agents don't want it to happen. They become redundant. Nobody wants this to happen apart from the creators. And so filmmakers have been trying to find ways to, um, to streamline that direct-to-audience uh, path. Um, but in terms of blockchain, it's always been a bit of an afterthought at the moment. No one's fully integrated it. So... You know, projects may uh, launch a, um, you know, a series of NFTs after they make a film, which actually have no utility. There's no uh, right. community that exists that has been built along right. with this thing. Um, so, you know, I invented uh, Retrogression as an entertainment ecosystem, essentially, that built from the ground up a community, a crypto community that would support this project. And then every utility that we roll out within that ecosystem then pays back that community as well and, you know, moves the chart and rewards people for supporting the film. And so what we see with this ecosystem is we raise the money for the film, for my next film project, which is a sci-fi trilogy, and the, ta the buy and sell taxes go into a wallet to finance the film. And that just means that you're higher up in the waterfall as a creator, um, you're able to write, raise the finance yourself without relying on financial institutions and what have you. Um, being able to, you know, directly sell to particular markets or put it on a, a place yourself, and it's already more in profit. And then you're able to take that um, that profit and then use that to buy back the chart of the token itself, and then redistribute that uh, profit to the community. So. It's, it's, you know, it's another way, it's essentially a, a crowdfunding mechanism with a reward scheme for 
the people who who enter it. So it's revolutionary, and it is the way it's going to head. And I and I can see film going even further than that, where you know there's a lot of dodgy accounting practices that go on with oh yeah with films. You know that um, that you're as far a- as I know, no film has ever made money. It doesn't make money, which is ridiculous. It's absolutely yeah, ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We know they do, and. All these yeah. companies exist because they do. So blockchain allows the, you know, everything to be transparent. So any, you know, and again, it's got to be a fight because why would they want this to happen? You know, so it's up yeah. to the creators to to be the pioneers of this and, and tap into a different community that's willing to support this um, and break through. And once it breaks through, it's, it's, it's going to be a game changer in the same way that Netflix was 100% I, I I think you know I when I started this show I it was the sense I was getting was the same feeling I got when I was in LA in 2007 and YouTube was just starting yeah. and I was like and people were kind of dabbling with it and oh this is going to be big and we weren't really sure how it was going to be monetized and how it was going to yeah. work and how did what what was going to happen but with this I get I get almost a sense of 90s filmmaking you know this this idea of this independent spirit that has kind of disappeared in yeah. in Hollywood at least. Um, it's disappeared, and and I feel like there could be a, a major resurgence through blockchain, through Web three platforms like yours, uh, to make to make just incredible original IP, independent cinema. I think you're spot on with that. The word is original IP because everything that is out there at the moment, it's 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 rehashing something else. It's a remake. It's a franchise. It's um. The, you know, I, I miss the days in the 90s, exactly what you're talking about, where you, you could see Tom Hanks do a drama or any of these actors do these these, yep. these films that were original stories and the, the creation of these yep. original stories. And, and now it's really just repackaging the same thing. And, and of course, that has its place. I'm the first person to go. Of course. To yes. The latest, you know, rendering of a, of a Marvel movie. But uh, likewise. Yeah. You know, I love it. But it's a, it is at the expense of independent filmmaking at the moment. And, um, you know, the way it's set up is it's very difficult to 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 be an independent independent filmmaker and to find that finance outside that that system now because there's no room left on the cinemas for it. Uh, yeah, it's it's near impossible and it's it seems strange because there's so many avenues to make films and so many different ways to make films and yet yeah. it's it seems increasingly difficult uh, to get anything original done uh, and not get even on TikTok uh, I I'm I'm very much addicted to TikTok and it seems that all of the film people on TikTok are really only referring to Marvel. Yeah. Uh, and and I love Marvel, but yeah. the whole entire film industry to TikTok is Marvel. There doesn't seem to exist much else outside no. of that. And that's a problem. It is a problem and cutting through that is a is a is a major problem. If you do, you know, even gold is uh, you know, it takes someone of the of the um, the status of Zac Efron to cut through in the independent world. And there isn't a lot of uh, independent filmmakers uh, out there that will have access to those sort of actors. And so that makes it incredibly difficult. It means that you do, you do need an A-list actor that's willing to reduce their usual studio fees uh, to come on yeah. board a more inexperienced uh, director than what they're used to, uh, to yep. do away with all their creature comforts that they're used to on, on everything. And, and want to get down and dirty in the desert and, you know, do things the indie way. And, you know, that's a, that's rare. And I'm a very lucky filmmaker to have had that experience. Um, and so it, it's difficult. And so, you know, 
for films to even find the backing from the distributors once they pick it up, you know, you find that most of them are just an intermediate between dumping it on a, on a streaming platform. So yep. it will get picked yep. up by a distributor. And the first thing they're looking to do is just go, well, who can I sell it to and who, where can I dump it, you know, and yeah. just make my profit yeah. and get out of there. Um, so, you know, gold was unique in this landscape in that it did sell to to every different territory and has a life in every different territory, but still the same, um, you know, waterfall exists in that process. But, you know, it, it wasn't a cheapen in a sense, just in terms of, uh, you know, not being just dumped straight to a streamer, you know, which is great. Did you feel um, very confident and comfortable in the director's chair and being in front of the camera uh, because you've been on so many sets? I had uh, acted and directed in some shorter projects I did a long time ago. I mean, I was, I'm always quite confident as an actor in terms of performance, but, um, you know, looking back on that experience, uh, the hardest thing for me was to be able to drop into character, into my accent um, at yeah. the drop of a hat because you've got so many other things on your mind. Um, and so it was tough to, you know, find myself doing scenes and then all of a sudden they go, okay, you're up next for this thing yeah. go, oh shit right, okay so yeah then i gotta get my head into that and um so it was you know i th i think the challenge was is you know creating a character with the nuances that i'm used to being able to do when my focus is purely on one thing is was probably the challenge um i'm not sure it's something i you know want to do again but the the I was kind of perfect for that role. I, you know, got to grow. My you, I was going to say you did it flawlessly. Yeah, so yeah, if, no. you, if you, it didn't show if yeah. there was any struggle there. Yeah, I got to that guy. And it's kind of right. You, you were, you were a perfect dirtbag. Perfect asshole. Yeah, that's me basically. Yes. Um, yeah. And, you know, the opportunity to work alongside Zach too was um, was a draw card. So. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But maybe moving forward, I'll probably um, separate the two. And I also knew going into it that my character in that film was in the beginning of the film and the end and was absent for a long time. So there was a lot of period and a lot of days where I wasn't having to act in it. Um, so that gave yeah. me a bit more confidence. Can you talk a little bit about retrogression, the story? What What is retrogression? And then we'll kind of dig into the, the different facets of it. Yeah, because it's quite hard to get your head around because it's such a big ecosystem. So it is a good place to start. So retrogression is a three-part sci-fi trilogy. And uh, the first installment has been written um, by myself and Daniel Krieger, who um, had a film called West in Berlin Film Festival um, a few years ago. And it's essentially set 350 years in the future. It's, uh, we've been decimated by global warming, the seas have risen, and we're existing as a, uh, as a global community on these floating cities that are chained to the, the seabeds. And uh, the, the main protagonist is a guy called Ben Hammond who works on blockchain as a security expert. And he invents this, um, this system called uh, the REP system that uh, rewards people according to their carbon footprint. So uh, all, uh, all currencies in the future have been discontinued and everyone is running on the RTGN token, which is actually our uh, crypto token as well. And so he invents a system where the more carbon neutral or carbon friendly you are, the more you're rewarded as a society member uh, for contributing to lowering emissions. Um, but then there's a terrorist attack on um, a military base on another floating island. 
and uh, the the main security coder there has been has been murdered, and so he's sent over to this other island to basically fix the system. And when he gets there, he realizes that his tracking system has been repurposed to control the citizens in um, essentially a, a slave labor in uh, some soil dredging fields and also um, in the factories that are producing all the green energy products, so the, the washing machines and the vacuum cleaners and all this consumer goods that we buy. And essentially, the, you know, the government has um, played on our fears of, of, a, of devastating uh, climate catastrophe and then flipped that into consumerism uh, to service the 1% and to service the, the wealthiest floating cities. And so he gets there and realizes that these cities are basically all slaves. They're all part of a system where they're followed by these floating orbs, which are these robotic kind of killing machines that um, are attached to a palm pilot that is embedded in everyone's um, um, wrist. And so they are told where to go, when to go, at what time, and it's uh, every day for the rest of their lives. And they're working in these factories. And when he realizes that's the case and he finds out... Um, uh, deeper that they're not in fact terrorists that blew it up that they're freedom fighters he then has to escape the military compound into the slums and find his way to the leader of the of the resistance to then take down the system that he helped create and liberate mankind and so that's the that's the first installment of the sci-fi I love it religion, I love you know? it <laughs> and it's uh it's a really cool one you know obviously sci-fi you know uh, is always heavily theme related about where we are in terms of humanity and where we're heading and the warning signs and so it's kind of an extension on gold and a more um, you know a bigger production in terms of that so that's the that's the the first installment so where in the development process is the first installment yeah so so part of that is uh, so we've written the first screenplay and that exists and so the reason we invented this ecosystem, talking about this finance system, is that uh, we launched a token called the RTGN token. And the buy-sell taxes, when people buy or sell that token, goes into an ERC-20 compatible wallet, which then finances the film. And so as, uh, as filmmakers, we then um, you know, are bringing the finance to the table through the crypto community. The crypto community essentially own a piece of that film we're able to then cut out a lot of the middlemen in the process and streamline the, uh, the the financing process, put ourselves higher up into the waterfall by bringing the finance and not having to rely on institutions to, to, to finance those things. Um, and so when the profit of the film comes in, it comes in via us. We use that to buy back the token, which creates growth on the chart, and then distribute uh, that profit to the uh, holders of the token so that everyone benefits from the, the proceeds of the film. Um, and so to talk a little bit about the ecosystem, because and you, you know about it because you've kind of read up on it a bit, um, we launched with, a, with, a, with our first utility, which is an emerging filmmaker's crib, and that crib's called the Retrogression Film Crib. And that is populated with... Uh, a whole slew of hand curated um, short films from emerging filmmakers around the world and uh, we're just about to drop another uh, I think eight Academy Award films on there so there'll be a total awesome. of 12 uh, Academy Award short films there's Khan Palm Dior winners there's Berlin Bear winners there's sci-fi there's it's all this great short film content and so what we do as part of the ecosystem is the filmmakers come and they upload their their um 
their, their film to the platform and then they enter their ERC20 compatible wallet and then they're rewarded per streams with our token. So the more streams they are, then the more they earn our RTGN token. And that also grows the project in the amount of holders that are there. And then to incentivize the community with that uh, utility, we actually reward people for watching the content as well. So it's a, it's a view to earn with the RTGN token. And so nice. bringing a community and, and rewarding them, bringing the filmmakers to and rewarding them at the same time creates a great ecosystem of growth. And then we're able to sell advertising revenue on that platform um, that then generates income for the project to finance the film, to finance utility, to then buy back the chart and then redistribute that um, and give larger payouts to the community as well. So it's an entire ecosystem that's built to reward creators, reward people that are engaging. Um, and um, it's, a, it's a great platform. It's really slick. It's, uh, I love the films that are on there. And so any filmmaker um, that has a film can upload it. There's a, uh, you can just register and upload and um, you know, we can help you on the back end if you're not crypto savvy. Um, and that was another reason is you know, one of the mottos for our project is um, it takes a thousand steps to get to one step. And so, yeah. you know, part of part of the crypto community, which is the most difficult aspect of it, is that they're a very ravenous community. They need things now and they need things yesterday. And so, you know, for instance, we launch a token and we uh, drop an amazing uh, utility and then the very next day it's so what's next? And these things, you know, yeah. take time, yeah. take time to implement. Um, and so the biggest challenge is, is with the communities just tempering their expectations and, you know, letting them know that we're a, we're a, we're a long-term prospect and that we're a big ecosystem that we're building. And, and so rewarding them along the way is really in, in, important in that ecosystem. Um, and so we're going to build out that platform um, as well as we're, we're bringing in a, a guy called Anthony O'Connor who's interviewed Tarantino and um, Peter Jackson awesome. and all these great filmmakers. And he will then host Q and A's with all the filmmakers that are on the platform. Fantastic. Their journeys, oh, that's great. how they made their short, how they financed it, what the problems were. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. You know, and so it becomes a great resource for emerging filmmakers as well. And it's important that it's not just great for people to watch it, but it becomes a tool. And so eventually it'll be a platform. Um, you know, we'll be starting those Q and A's very shortly and I'll, it'll probably kick off with me talking about gold and, things like that in the ecosystem and you know I'll bring on actors on there that can talk about or people like you know Tom Savini who you probably know like the godfather yeah, of, of course you know to talk about the days of you know uh, the horror golden era and prosthetic makeup and, yeah. and really just bring a whole you know film cult film community to this platform so that these filmmakers get more views and they start to be able to finance their next shorts or you know, or, or we build relationships with these filmmakers so that, you know, in years to come, we open our ecosystem up to be a DAO studio after we've made, we've made our uh, films and we can bring those uh, feature projects from those people that are on the crib that we've supported and then get the community to get behind those and finance those films for those filmmakers and build it out into an indie platform that, you know, then rewards filmmakers. Yeah. So. There's a lot of uh, long-term goals in terms of the project, and it's you know a thousand steps to get there. But you know the the first step is getting a good community that engages with 
with that utility. Can you talk about um, how you're building that community, yeah. uh, the various tools you're using and the tactics you're using to get people not just to show up, but to stay? I think I found you, I somehow stumbled into your Telegram oh, group yeah. And it was it was buzzing. It was buzzing, which yeah. is exactly what you want to see in a community like this. Yeah. And I, I think I shot out something like I don't even know if the director is here, <laughs> but if he is, yeah, <laughs> you know, please, let's talk. <laughs> and and very quickly you were you were responding. And I was like, this is this is a very cool community, a very active community. And uh, and, and you can tell that the people in charge care. Yeah. Before I even knew what it was about. Uh, so how how are you building that? What are the tools, and how are you building and maintaining that? Yeah, that's a it's a really difficult process, actually. It's um, you know, one of the things is is that eventually I need to step back from that community to really focus on things because as part of the eco, and we'll talk about this later, is a play to earn game NFT game with a gaming partnership. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but you know, it, it was really important for me to be present in the community and to uh, the first strategy was to for me to do an AMA tour among all the Telegram channels. And so Telegram's a very good resource for crypto projects to use influencers that were in that channel to create the buzz, to you know raise our pre-sale. We did it on the Unicrypt platform and did an official uh, partnership with them where we had to order the, our contract and KYC and all those kind of things and make sure that you know everything was hunky-dory and safe to give, uh, the community, uh, you know, confidence going forward because there's a lot of rugs in crypto. You know, a lot of people build things yeah. up and disappear. Yeah. Um, you know, so my face is all over the place and, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm making this film. So, um, yeah, so the first thing was a lot of AMAs just to get the word out there. And that was very helpful in hitting our 200 ETH hard cap on, on launch and a good launch. Um, and then... You know, it's a funny thing because in that space, there are there are actually a, a lot of botted channels and a lot of um, uh, difficulty in finding real influences with real um, influence, as it were. Um, and so you can spend an awful lot of your capital on calls in these channels and, and letting people yeah. know that that don't necessarily have the uh, the impact that you need on the chart or on the community growing. And so it really is a process of elimination. You know, we spent a lot on launch and then we worked out with our data about who actually works and who doesn't. And some of these channels that have, you know, a million viewers, people will come into our channel and go, you got to get this guy to do something. But they're completely, right. they're, they're botted. You know, they're, they're a million, you can buy yeah. subscribers. Um, and so you have yeah. to look at yeah. the interaction of these pages and uh, whether the comments are real or whether they're not real and all those kind of things. So it's a slow process. It's an organic grassroots process. And so we brought in a, a, a grassroots uh, um, media manager onto the team from another token, and uh, he's helping us navigate through that. And so it's just really about being present. We've got our Telegram channels. Um, we've got our, our Twitter channels. We've got our Crib channel. We've got Instagram. We've got Facebook. We've got Discord. And so you have all these communities in there that you just slowly build over time by being present in the space. We've just launched our um, NFT treasure hunt a couple of days ago, which is this wild crypto trip all the way through the internet that's film related where, you know, you win free NFTs if you solve these puzzles and it's all narrative driven. So you go through and you actually learn about the story of the film and the characters and the NFTs are based 
these characters. So, you know, it's really about bringing things to the table that are part of an entertainment that engage people because, you know, there's so many meme tokens out there and so many, you know, uh, tokens that don't have real utility. And uh, what's important is just making this thing engaging. And so if you're going to bring film and crypto together, you, you want to be story driven, you want to be narrative driven, you want to put that through all of your things. So that we've, we've just seen even in the last couple of days with our rollout of our crypto puzzle, you know, people are active in all our channels just going, I can't yeah. solve it, I can't solve it. And the community starts yeah. coming together and try, you know, we're dropping clues everywhere. Um, and so that's really what it's about with a, with, a, with a crypto platform is just making sure that there's always something for the community to engage with. And then outside of the crypto community, it's about, you know, and, and there's other things too, like, you know, we've, we put out press releases on NASDAQ and Yahoo Finance and, you know, Bloomberg and all those kind of things, which are the, you know, bringing in a different yep. type of investor, um, yep. you know, announcements of gaming partnerships and then using their, their, their communities as well to bring communities together. That's really amazing. The crypto yep. space. It's a lot of work. It's a hell of a lot of work to, to keep an active community going. Um, and they're all the strategies that you use. And then on the film side, you know, there's, we've engaged a, a, a Hollywood publicist that I've worked with before to, to put out press releases yeah. about the crib specifically that's less to do with the ecosystem and more just targeting filmmakers to bring them to the platform to upload. Where do those press releases go? Where are they published? Yeah, well, they get they get published all around the net. They're published on, um, you know, bloggers. They've got an extensive list of film bloggers and things like that. And it's all organic, um, you know, and eventually to get, you know, get those things on the Hollywood Reporter and things like that once we've got some more engagement. I think we're about to hit in, you know, two weeks, 100,000 views on the on the platform, which is just organic growth, which is fantastic, you know. And then we've just started other strategies too, which is, you know, targeted marketing on, on YouTube and, uh, you know, to draw people to the platform. And then you've got to work on those metrics as well to work out what works and refine those over time. And um, so there's a lot of different strategies that you do to, to, to build it up. And you've got to work out the most cost-effective way to, to do that at the same time. It's, um, it's multi-pronged. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, we're we're building a project ourselves, and and we're discussing marketing right now, and we have a very we have a little budget, but not a big budget, and and that these are the things we're thinking about. We're thinking about: do we spend on YouTube ads? Do we spend on on um, on Twitter ads or this ads? And and uh, and we've we've actually made a policy that we're not gonna pay creators because we're we're really. It, we're really interested in building a community. So we yeah. want that grassroots organic, uh, be people who believe in it. And then we're going to donate to a film fund for uh, in the people's name who becomes a, a part of it. So we're really trying to build a, a, that community part of it as opposed to, but it, it's, as you're saying, it's, it's so multi pronged. It's so difficult to, to follow the analytics and follow, uh, what's working and what's not. And it's, it's, um, and I have two small children, so it's it's so really I, a nightmare. Yes, yeah, so do I. And, and in crypto, you know, the, the time zones as well. You know, I've, most of my AMAs are at six AM, hidden in the laundry away from my children. You know, before they yeah, wake up. exactly, it's, exactly. It's, yeah, it's crazy. So it's um, yeah. I mean, all I can say is that it is a it's constant refinement and testing. You know, to work out where where the people come from. You know, and like you say, you, you could you could blow a hundred thousand dollars in two days on the wrong easily thing. yeah easily 
Yeah. You know, um, so you really have to be cognizant of that. And you need to also block out the noise in the channel. Like I said before, is that, you know, there's, it's a very ravenous community, the crypto community. Things are launching every minute of every day and people are used to this very unnatural, you know, times 10 in five minutes and then it dumps yeah. and people rug and it's out of there. And so people get addicted to the dopamine hit of that as well. You know, yeah. just actually yeah. going, it's a times 10 quickly. And, you know, most people get burnt on those things, but they're addicted to it. And so to yeah. be a long-term prospect and to find your audience and find your core supporters is a very long process. And so you do need to block out the FUD and the noise in the channels and just get on with building your ecosystem and your, your community. And they come, you know, they come day by day two more people, five more people, 10 more people. But um, it's really about having, you know, expanding your core team as well and bringing in other people and engaging with other communities. Like, for instance, you know, you start your project and we start integrating in a meaningful way that brings our communities together because they're like-minded communities. Absolutely, you know, yeah. That's, that's, that's how, how to best build um, strong communities in, in crypto. But it takes time. So play-to-earn gaming. Mm. Yeah. So tell me about that. So, you know, the idea with the, um, to step back a bit, the idea with the script was to properly integrate crypto into the screenplay. Um, it's, it's always a bit of an afterthought when, uh, when film and crypto try and tie. And so we have these things that are built into the film, uh, Easter eggs as it were for people of our age that, you know, used to watch DVDs, you know, that's a term we, yep. we us oldies know. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of Easter eggs that's. Been, if you don't know what a DVD is and you're listening to this, you need to go research what a DVD is. You and probably are yeah. crypto savvy, so you know, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're the right demographic uh, for the crypto element. But um, yeah, so the the screenplay is designed to have a lot of things in it that can be rolled out and capitalized on in the crypto space. So, for instance, you know, like I told the story of the film, it, the whole world is based on the RTG and token. He works on the blockchain. There's all these references to it. But real integration is what you want. So, for instance, you know, one of the characters is obsessed with virtual horse racing in, in the, the screen. And so within our main game, in our uh, gaming ecosystem, there'll be a mini game, which is a virtual horse racing game. In the future, there's a, uh, you know, the National Basketball League or the World Basketball League are all virtual athletes in the future. So that appears in a television and then that becomes a mini game where you can go and play as those characters that are in the movie and you can collect the NFT collector cards of all those players and earn RTGN token from that as a mini game. So there's all this integration that's in the, you could watch the film outside of crypto and it would completely just be a movie in its own right. But if you're into crypto, then it's, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there that we roll out. And so we built a, we've been working for the last five months with a, a partner and we're not allowed to do the announcement just yet. We're still on the legal aspect of it um but it's pretty soon and uh you know we're working with them anyway regardless of the um of that on all the original assets for the uh for the game and it'll be built on unreal engine which is absolutely amazing yep. it's uh it looks incredible so at the moment you know we're at the stages we're developing those initial assets that will become part of that play to earn game experience and it'll be nft based so that um it's based on the story of the film it's an experiential game that takes you through the worlds of the film. As I said, there's the there's the uber kind of green futuristic cities, then there's the slums, and there's a military base, and so we have all these great 3D, you know, three uh, Unreal Engine rendered worlds that Ben Hammond takes you through, and then um, 
you will collect NFTs along the way that the rare ones can unlock another level of the game and another experience. So if you're lucky enough to be playing in and generate one of those NFTs, then you'll only you will get access to that level. But then you're able to play that level and then sell that NFT on the secondary market to someone else, Love make it. some profit yeah. from it, and then someone else can play that level of the game. So it's important with NFTs to, you know, not only are they art-based, but they have to have a, a function and a utility as well. And so all the NFTs that we're developing, all the assets that we develop for the game um, are assets that will be in the, in, the, in the game. They're also NFTs, so you can own a part of the game. And part of that partnership um, is a uh, is a metaverse that they've launched, and so we're as a as a official friend of the metaverse, we will have our own world on that metaverse, and uh, be part there with a, uh, some really huge uh, corporate companies as well that are that are part of that. And so you will play our game on their metaverse. These guys develop the game for us. Um, you're able to store your NFTs on that metaverse and. Um, so it's a really huge partnership that we're really excited about rolling out, and of course they've got they've got a huge community because of their NFT uh, based game that's uh, been out for many years now, and so uh, you know that's going to be really important for us going forward as well. Um, but always 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 story driven, you know, a game based on the film. And the great thing is with this is you know the, I think as a filmmaker, the thing I love the most of all is coming up with an idea. And then the trials and tribulations of getting that to the screen is both frustrating and incredibly rewarding. And by creating an ecosystem that has a community there from the beginning, I hope that community is able to feel that experience with us as well and, and really feel what it's like to get something to that stage. Because there's nothing better than seeing the final rendering of all your hard work go out all around the world. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible feeling. Um, and for people to be part of that, and even some of our NFTs, are, um, rare ones, are executive producer credits in the film and things like that that people can get. So, you know, there's a bit of Hollywood razzle-dazzle in there as well, visits to the set, things like that. So, you know, it's, uh, it's great integration. Do you have to navigate the sort of securities issue that we're having to navigate with our company being in the U.S. and making sure that we are not a security, and if we are a security, then declaring we are security, and, and we can do that, but we've opted not to, um, and yeah. so we just need to be sort of careful how we how we navigate, and we're not trying to be a security in any way. Do, yeah. do you have to deal with similar things with retrogression? Yeah, you do, and it's about um, it's it's about where your company is based, essentially. You know where where it's based, whether it's Australia or the US. There are different laws that are associated with that. Um, you know, a lot of companies that are based out of uh, the Cayman Islands or things like that. So you really do need to, um, you know, if you're going to do this properly. Uh, engage with a good legal team to make sure that that part of it is is sewn up. There are, you know, there are even certain things that you can't say, which I'm probably even at this stage not even knowledgeable enough on at the moment. Uh, but uh, you know, it's a it's a process of learning that too. And you know, the the lawyers will be the first to admit that it's a learning process for them because we're talking about a space that is emerging and we're talking about um, legislation that is constantly being updated and rapidly changing and, yeah. catch it. and so it's an ongoing process of what you can and can't do in different territories around the world so it's um 
yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a nightmare, but it, it is something you have to be mindful of if you're going to be a long-term project for sure. I'm cognizant of your time, so we'll we'll wrap up shortly. Um, how how do you um, deal with the democratization of it all, where you are a, a filmmaker, you're a director, you're a, a visionary, you have a vision, um, but you want to include the community and you want them to be active and make decisions along the way. So how do you balance those two things? Yeah, it is a balance because, you know, anyone who's a filmmaker knows that you can't just have a script open. You can't have an open script that is constantly changing. I mean, you need to budget these things to the T. I mean, these budgets are 150 pages long. Um, so there, there, there comes a point where you can't have any more engagement in that process. You need to lock that down. Um, so the film exists as a film. That was always the, the thing going forward is that this is what the screenplay is. To craft a screenplay is a very delicate process. Um, you know, too many cooks in that process can spoil the broth, as they say. Um, and it is a craft and it has to be treated as a craft. So, you know, you can't just open that up. The quality of it will suffer. But what you can do is, is, is in terms of the gaming experience, you know, we're, we're able to, because that game is an experiential game and it keeps evolving and more levels get created, what we're able to do is, is see what the community engages with in terms of character and story and use those characters to drive into other other levels. So for instance, you know, the Star Wars movie exists as its own thing. It is what it is, it's set in stone. But along the way, people have gone, Boba Fett's my favorite character. And so the Boba Fett figurine becomes the most sought after figurine in the entire thing. He's got his own TV show now. The you know the Mandalorian becomes a popular character, and so now that's a character. Then they've uh, Grogu has become one of the most famous characters out of that thing. It's like it's this organic beast that you you know you have the the, the fundamental core of it, which is what the the film is, and then it's really driven by community in Star Wars too. It's really driven by engagement and popularity and listening to. To, to what people want and you know into what they're consuming and so part of that game experience is we start with Ben Hammond he goes through you meet certain characters and we're able to engage on the back end of all our systems about what are the most popular things when we release our NFTs as they're all based on different characters we'll know which characters are the most popular then and then able to build levels of the game that then deviate into that character and their world and then subplots within that and you know other characters they meet so the, the the game is a very different beast to the film it starts off as the film as the narrative and the protagonist but it, it has room to really engage the community so we always saw those as two separate things one was heavily community driven and one was what it is it's the film um and then the film crib also has you know community engagement where we on the back end we know which films are popular we you know as we grow we know uh, which AMAs are popular, which live streams are popular, uh, you know, which functions on the website are the most used. And so, you know, you then engage the community with with uh, with that. Um, so there is community engagement. But, you know, as you say, you all, you also as a as a long term project need to be four or five months ahead in development. So that's the tricky thing is you, you can't just go, what do the community want and then expect to deliver that next week? not when you're a real utility. So yeah, it's a, it's a difficult process. I think what you have to do as a, as a project is go, these are our core things that we're building off. This one cannot be changed. This one is organic. It still takes time, 
this one is organic it still takes time and then you know work out the best way forward as you as you go as you grow with the community i still think you'll end up doing tv shows of the most popular game characters well that's right it's it really is endless isn't it i mean you know we're we're an entertainment ecosystem and that's you know you've got to start somewhere it goes back to the ethos to, to the mantra that i said before is a thousand steps to another step and that's really about that is just going where where this can lead is endless but and that's why you need to keep bringing in the great core members you know when you make a film and you're you're in everyone's seen the credits of a movie there's 400 people there your job as a producer or a filmmaker is to bring all these people together who are the best at what they do you don't necessarily know how to shoot a movie i don't know how to how to do an, how to run an ARRI. That's not what I do, but I bring you know the cinematographer who does know, and you go th- you go through the process with them, and you surround yourself with people that know more than you, so that you can grow as a filmmaker. Um, and it's no different in the crypto space. It's about you know seeing where the project is heading, and then going. So who do we need to engage now to bring into the team to make that happen? You know who are the experts in that field? And so you find even you start off with a core team of you know two or three. And we're already, you know, at 50 people. So it's, um, yeah, amazing. Keep building. Well, well, I, I love what you're building. I'm a fan of yours. I'm a fan of the project and, uh, I want to help in any way I can. And where can people find you and where can people find retrogression and, and how can they support and get involved? Yeah, sure. So you can find me on Twitter. I've got a verified Twitter account at the Anthony Hayes. So you can hit me up there. Our website is retrogression.io. And that will take you through the whole ecosystem, but then it, will, it can also link you to the film crib if you're just interested in that part of it. Uh, we're on Telegram as RTG and Universe. Be very careful because there's a lot of scams out there with different channels, so that's the official one. Um, the team's always around. We have mods and admins as well that can help you, but you know, Discord, Facebook, all of the social medias were there. And the, you, know, you, you, can, you can buy the token on Uniswap at the moment if you want to... Um, if you want to invest in the project, um, you can go there onto Uniswap and buy the token now. There's also staking that we all have set up, which I didn't mention. So you can buy the token, you can put it in one of our staking pools on um, on the Unicrypt uh, platform, and you can earn passive income in the form of RTGN tokens there while you wait for us to roll out utilities and build it. So, um, you know, I would say if, you, if you're into the ethos, if you're a filmmaker, and you want to get your work out there, I'd say head to the crib, get your films up there, get your work seen, get the views, start earning some you know, some income for your next projects. If you're into crypto and supporting that community, then do that. It's really open to, to what you're into and, um, and named it you know, both, both things. So Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it.